get started. Last week was a cliffhanger. And <laughs> so if you weren't here last week, I, uh, I talked too much and didn't have time to make my, my final point. And, um, and it was the point I wanted to make the most. Uh, and, and so uh, we're going to dive into that today. So we're, we're starting to do a series uh, called Grow in Grace, where we're working through Peter's little letter that, was, that we call Second Peter. And uh, the subtitle there says, A Farewell Letter from Peter. Peter writes this letter in prison in Rome, awaiting his execution. Okay, uh, He knows his time. In fact, he, he says that in the verses we're going to read today. He knows his time is at hand. And, uh, and he had some thoughts. He just needed to get out and get out to the churches in that part of the world. Uh, you know, it was just some things that were important to him before he kind of left this earth. And, and so he's, he's, he's jotting some things down. And um, so we are blessed to still, you know, 2,000 years later, have this letter in our possession that we can uh, learn from. And, 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 you know, these words can guide us. And, and just so thankful that, that in that moment of, of um, hopelessness in terms of his physical fleshly life, um, he had the, the love for the church and the presence of mind to go, uh, I'm not done yet. There's still some things I need to say. And we still get to be blessed by those, those things. Um, and when I say hopelessness, I mean, like I said, in this fleshly life, he had all the hope in the world for what was coming next. And I'm, I'm sure, I mean, can you imagine uh, going from a, a, a period of time where, you know, for three years he walked right next to Jesus, everywhere Jesus went. They were like best friends. Uh, Jesus uh, is crucified and resurrected, ascended to heaven. And now it's been, you know, maybe about 30 years since he's seen his best friend. And I can't imagine the anticipation he's feeling of, yeah, okay, I'm getting ready to be executed, but I get to see Jesus. I get to see Jesus. And, uh, and so, yeah, all the hope in the world for that. Um, so let me just kind of briefly recap the last thing we read last week. Um, in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter had been kind of laying out this, this concept of, and it was what we really hit on, is that um, the, the concept of God's grace. The reason we call the sermon uh, series God, uh, Grow in Grace is because he starts off this letter with this instruction for us to have our grace, uh, you know, multiply in grace, and then he ends the letter. We, we kind of did a spoiler alert, and the end of the letter, the very last verse of the letter, he says, I want you to grow in grace. And we talked about that idea of when we grow in the knowledge of God's grace for us, when we begin to more clearly understand how much God loves us and to the extent that he loves us and, and, and that we are forgiven, that forgiveness is not something we go to circumstance by circumstance. Every time we sin, we go to God, we need forgiveness. That's not the, that's not the concept of biblical forgiveness. The concept of biblical forgiveness is, is, is more of a financial exchange. So if, if the bank forgives your debt, you don't have to keep going back to them for forgiveness. You have been declared forgiven for all time of that debt. And that's the concept in Scripture of forgiveness, that forgiveness is not something we go back to for God over and over. Once we accept His grace and accept His forgiveness, we have been declared forgiven. All your sins, past, present, and future that you might ever commit, are forgiven. You, are, you just are forgiven. 
right? And so we, we talk about growing in that concept and how powerful that can be for your faith. It grows your faith to grow in the knowledge of the grace that's been allowed to you. And then we, he goes on off on this little tangent about how we uh, grow in our faith, and, and he kind of lays out this progression that we talked about that I want to just real quickly remind us of before we, we, we shoot forward. And he says, uh, chapter 1, verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. And we talked about last week how this is not so much just a list of virtues or a list of qualities that we want to aspire to, but what he's laying down here is a progression of spiritual maturity. That what starts with a moment of faith where we place our faith in Jesus Christ very quickly goes to us as new uh, baby believers in Jesus going, I need to be a better person. I want to be a better person, so I want to add virtue. I want to add these. I want to go from being a, a rotten person to a good person. I want to be more virtuous. And from virtue, uh, we go to, uh, where are we at? Uh, from virtue, we go to uh, knowledge. I, you realize how much you don't know, and I want to know more, and you just, you're just devouring as much knowledge as you can about Christ, about the scripture, that sort of thing. And from knowledge, we go to uh, we, we kind of progress and mature into this desire for self-control. Like you realize how, how out of control you are to your own sinful nature and you want to gain more control over that and you, you, you begin to mature in that. And then to steadfastness, you want to see some steadfastness in your faith so your, your faith is not weak or strong depending on your circumstances. It just is. It's just faithful the way God is faithful to us through all things. And, and then you continue to grow from steadfastness into Godliness. We talked about how godliness is, is not us trying to be like God as so much, as much as it is us becoming God-centered people, that we, we begin to have our whole life center around God and the things that are uh, important to Him, and, and, and that becomes the center of our universe, God does. And from, from godliness, we move on to uh, brotherly affection. We learn to love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, and from brotherly affection, we move on to just the final, the destination in our spiritual maturity, which is love. Love is the destination. Love is the most mature you can be. Increasing of knowledge and learning more of the details and memorizing scripture is not the destination. The destination for our faith is love that goes beyond brotherly affection to what Jesus taught us about of love your enemies. Love everybody, just that we go out in love and maturity, showing the love of Christ to everybody that we come across. And so that's the destination, that's the final maturity. So he lays this out, these qualities and this progression of spiritual maturity for us. Now, and the verses that we're getting ready to pick up that we missed out on last week. Here we go. What's that look like? All right, here we go. Uh, verses 8 through 11. Okay, before I lay this out. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me lay some groundwork. While we're getting ready to talk about, I'm so excited to talk about this because I love stirring the pot. And, uh, and this is one of the most controversial topics in, uh, in Christianity, in, particularly when it deals with Christian theology. There's a major divide in our faith over who's right and who's wrong about this particular topic that we're going to talk about. And it's this topic about this little word that we call, that Scripture calls, Election. Election. And, um, and you're like, oh, I'm so sick of hearing about elections. It's not that kind of election. <laughs> so this, what, what we're going to talk about for just a second is this idea. Now, there's, there's one group of people uh, that tend to be categorized by the, by the term Calvinists. 
meaning that they follow the teaching of John Calvin early on in the, the Protestant Reformation. This was one of the big wigs back then. And, um, and so there's one, one group of people that what they believe Scripture teaches when it's teaching about election is that God has elected or chosen some people for salvation and some people to not be saved. That he has literally gone through the universe person by person going, saved, not saved, saved, not saved, saved, not saved, and has predetermined all of that in his, um, in his divine authority, in his, all, in his sovereignty, uh, that he has chosen all that for people. And, and, and by the way, uh, a good if you're new to faith, that might seem like, that seems weird and very unloving and arbitrary or whatever. If you're new to faith and you're, and you're thinking that, that's fine that you're thinking that. But just so you know, there's actually a good number, a good number of Christians who believe this. Now, for your, by the way, this, is, this issue is an issue that our church does not take an official stand on. We let you research and study scripture on your own and come to your own decision, okay? Just so you know. I'm getting ready to take an official stand on this, though, so here we go. All right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. okay. So, so that's one side of the election debate that God uh, predetermines, chooses ahead of time who will be saved and who won't. So he selects some for his kingdom, and he selects some for hell, correct? Or, or that's, that's what that looks like. So the other side of that argument then says, uh, no, that God, just because God knows, because he's, he, he's all-knowing, just because God knows what the outcomes will be does not mean he selected the outcomes. We still have free will to choose on our own. Okay, so And that group tends to be labeled under the term Arminians because they follow the teaching of a guy, uh, a theologian by the name of Armini, Arminius. And so, so you have uh, God chose some for heaven, some for hell over here, and you have, uh, no, we have free will. We can choose on our own over here and, and that sort of thing. Now, both sides of that debate can pull out verses and back up their point of view. Both sides can. Um, what I like to do when I read Scripture, and, and I'm not claiming to be any smarter than anybody or anything else. I, I'm just a product of things I've read and learned and listened to and you know, just the same way all of us are, right? Um, but what I like to do is rather than pulling out a verse to say, this verse says this, so this must be true, how does that verse, I'd rather go, how does that verse fit in with the whole of Scripture? Um, because we can all, I mean, we see this on the news all the time. The news reporters are constantly pulling one sentence out of somebody's speech and you know, having it mean something that is totally out of context, right? And so um, I'd rather, let's look at the whole. So let's read, let's read the scripture. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> All right, I'm going to get a quick drink. Start with verse 8 of 2 Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> For if these qualities are yours, and he's talking about the qualities we just talked about, from faith, that progression from faith to the final destination, final maturity part of love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So let that sink in for just a second that he's, he's saying when we are increasing in those qualities that we just read, the faith and the godliness and the self-control and the virtue and the love and the, you know, all that kind of stuff, when, we're, when we see those qualities increasing in our lives, they keep us from being unfruitful in the knowledge of Jesus. And this is what I was talking about last week when I said it's such a misplaced idea to make knowledge the destination because knowledge without love bears no fruit. Knowledge without love bears no fruit. So the goal can't be knowledge. The goal has to be love that then informs our knowledge and, and, and puts our knowledge to practice in a way that bears fruit and draws people to Christ and all that kind of stuff. Okay, so he says, so um, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Now, this is, there's a kind of church theology that, that is going through a lot of churches now, nowadays that, that's, that's kind of been labeled this idea of kind of free grace the, theology. And the idea is that you're forgiven and your sins don't matter, so don't worry about becoming a better person. Just love Jesus and everything will work out fine. Go ahead. You know, do you have sin in your life? That's okay. Um, because you've been forgiven, and, you know. So it's and, and and now the truth is, yes, 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 and amen. We have been forgiven of all of our sins. That does not allow us, though, to take the beautiful and precious sacrifice of Jesus Christ to die a death for us on a on a cruel cross and handle that cheaply as if it meant nothing and live lives that are a slap in the face to that sacrifice. It does not allow us to do that, and and Scripture backs that up. Over and over and over. We are constant. You cannot read the Bible, especially, especially in the New Testament. You cannot read the Bible and get away from the fact that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to holy lives, to holy living. Now, we're flawed. We're human. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to continue to, to, to sin. We're going to continue to let down the people around us that we love and let God down. That's, that's human nature. But I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus and begin to I'm pointing right at Michelle. She's Jesus right now, evidently. And so I'm, 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 I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. I'm pointing to David now. And, 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 and I'm going to um, allow that faith to inform my decision-making. I'm going to put God before my own fleshly desires. I'm going to do my best to live a life uh, by the pattern that's laid out for me in Scripture. Why? Because, as we've talked about before, to not do that makes you a jerk. When somebody expresses that level of love for you, and you don't even attempt to be faithful to them, you're a huge jerk. It's just the natural response to really and truly understand. This is why, here we go, it's all coming together in my mind right now. Puzzle pieces are falling. This is why Peter says, grow in grace. Because when we really become to more fully understand why or how big and how significant grace is in our life and that sacrifice that Jesus made for us, how significant the natural, decent human response is to go, you gave your life for me, I'm going to give my life for you. That's natural, okay? So, he says, therefore, here, here it comes, here comes the, the sticky part. Therefore, Brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be 
richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, election comes up in the New Testament a pretty good handful of times, uh, mostly in the teachings of Paul. Uh, So what we're focusing on this morning is kind of Peter's take on it, but it lines up with Paul's teaching as well. Um, And so he says, therefore, in light of all this this stuff that we just talked about, therefore, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. If you practice these things, you'll never fall, okay? Now, let me give you a little history around the term election before, we, before I kind of give you the punchline here. Election, a lot of times, especially nowadays, is kind of viewed as some sort of this, like this New Testament concept. Like it's something that Paul came up with or, or the early apostles, you know, that they, they came up with and began to teach about this idea of, of you're a part of this group that we call the elect, uh, you know, or what, whatever, and, and that's actually not true. What happened when Jesus came on the scene is that Jesus and his followers began to take all those teachings that had been floating around and circulating in the Jewish faith, and rather than centering those teachings on the temple or on the sacrifice system or whatever, they began to recenter all of those teachings on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so it was the whole thing. So when Jesus goes into the temple and he starts flipping tables and he, you know, whipping people and all kinds of, it's a great story. You should read that story. Anyway, so like when he does that thing, it's not Jesus having a bad day. It's Jesus going, I am taking the attention. I am recentering the faith from the temple to me. The temple is no longer the center of our faith in God I, Jesus Christ, am now the center of our faith in God. Now, this is a very brazen move on the part of a human, right? It's a very brazen move. But that's exactly what he was doing. So this happens over, especially throughout the teachings of Paul. Paul is constantly taking a Jewish concept and recentering it around the person of Christ. He's taking an Old, New, Old Testament prophecy and recentering that prophecy around the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And this one is no different. Election was not a new concept. It was not a New, a new Testament age concept. In fact, the Jewish people had always believed that they were God's chosen people, God's elect people. It, was, it, it goes back to the very foundations of their faith. They are the chosen people. They're the ones that God selected of all the nations of the world to do his work in rescuing this world through. They were always the chosen people. They were always the elect. And now, now this idea of election is being recentered on Jesus Christ to where what, the, what these, these guys like Paul and Peter begin to teach is election is not just because you're a descendant of Abraham and part of the Jewish family. Election now has been recentered on the person of Jesus Christ. And where once election meant that you had to be a Jewish to be a part of the chosen people, now because of the person and the work of Jesus Christ, all humanity are a part of the elect. We are all Every boy, girl, man, woman are a part of God's chosen people. The question is, as a part of that group that the gospel has been opened up to, will you respond in faith and be saved? Will you respond in faith and be saved? But we are all now God's chosen people, all of us. It's this really beautiful concept of, of God, you know, starting out saving the world through this one family that grew into a nation that 
grew into a big mess, <laughs> and then gets blasted wide open by the cross and by the work of Christ to say, no, there is no Jew or Greek. There is no male or female. There is no slave or free. We are all one at the foot of the cross. We are all a part of that chosen group. Paul reiterates this in the, in the book of Romans when, he's, when he's, trying to, he's trying to make this point, and he says, he's using the example of, uh, of Abraham and how that, uh, the Scripture says that, that Abraham uh, was accepted and saved basically because of his faith. And he says, he says in, in Romans, he says, it's always been about faith. It was never actually about your bloodline. It was always about your faith. And so even he there reiterates there will be some, a part of that bloodline that, that would not be considered saved because they were not faithful, even though they were part of the right family, part of the right nation. They were not faithful. And so it really is ineffective to them. We are all a part of God's, he has chosen all of us. For God so loved who? The world that he gave his own. It's not for so God loved Janie and not Jim. That might be true. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> all right, I don't want to start a fight or anything. So, <laughs> now, like it's it's not it's not about this idea of you and not you and you and not you. It's for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that that then whoever believes in Him should have eternal life. So this this idea of election is very closely t- t- tied to this other concept that might come up and that you hear about from time to time called eternal security. And so, you know, if you've been a Christian for very long, you might hear the question, so do you believe in eternally, eternal security? Or sometimes they refer it to once saved, always saved. In other words, once I've said the prayer and accept Jesus to Christ, Jesus Christ as my Savior, uh, that you can't lose your salvation, that you're just always saved, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And what does Peter say right here? He says, he says, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. We can be eternal. I feel security in my faith. Why do I feel security in my faith? One, because I believe that the grace of God is huge. It's greater than my sin. It's greater than my sin. And the other is because I can look at my life and go, I'm not perfect, but I've fixed my eyes on Jesus and I'm growing in love. There's a lot of things I still fail at. There's a lot of things that I don't quite have, have figured out, but I, but I feel like if I, you know, I've been, I've been a Christian for, me personally, for quite a long time, since I was like five years old, right? And I can look back over the course of that faith journey and go, I'm growing closer to Christ. I'm, I'm moving further and further towards Him. Do, have, can I look back and see seasons when my faith has faltered and I've, I've wandered from Him? Absolutely, absolutely. But I also see I'm, I'm growing in faith. I'm growing in love, love especially. And Paul says, if you can see that, or Peter here says, if you can see that in your life, you will not fall. And by the way, other, other New Testament writers back this concept up over and over. The whole book of 1 John is about this. The entire letter that John writes in 1 John is about this. Let me, let me just read that to you real fast. Uh, not the whole letter, just some tidbits. So in John, which is, this is just, 1 John is just this beautiful little book. 
And, and he says things like this there. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. He goes on and he says later in verse 2, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Later on in that same chapter, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. He goes on, uh, let's go chapter 3, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Further down, verse 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Chapter 4, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Further down in that chapter, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother... He's a liar, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. And then finally, when he wraps up the letter, he says this, I write all these things, all these things I just read to you, I write all these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You want to know if your soul is secure and a part, and if you're a part of the family of God and a part of God's kingdom, you want to know if, 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 if you can bank on that and count on that, ask yourself this, am I walking in the light or am I walking in the darkness? Am I talking a big game about love but actually living hate or do my actions back up my words? Look at yourself, look at the life that you're living. Are you moving towards Christ? Are you growing in love? Again, it's not perfection. It's not perfection. It's not never sinning. Are you growing in love? If that's true, you're golden. You're golden. Because Christ covers a multitude, you know, the blood of Jesus Christ covers a multitude of sins. You want to know if you're really a part of his family, you really belong to him? Are you living like you're a part of his family? Are you? Now, I, I, I get it, guys. Like I said, this is a, a, a divisive issue. I just don't think you can get away from the fact that, yes, God's grace is big. Yes, it is offered to all. Yes, it's there for us to receive into our lives. But over and over and over throughout Scripture, the next thing, what, what Jesus tells the woman caught in adultery, I, I, I forgive you. Your sins are forgiven you. Go and what? Sin. And he's not being literal like never sin again. What he's saying is turn from your life of rebelliousness to God to a person who is following me. That's what this looks like. So that said, this is the, this is the big point for this, this passage. And it looks like I'm going to run out of time again. So faith that produces love is eternal security. Faith that produces love is eternal security. Your, your eternal security is not in the fact that you are a part of the elect or the chosen people. That's everybody. That doesn't make you special. What makes you special is that you have embraced that fact, that fact. You have embraced your role as a part of a citizen of God's kingdom and a, and a member of his family, and you are living life. 
transformed and changed and moving towards him, growing in love. That's not, now your acts, I'm not saying that your works are saving you. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying those works are the proof that you are a member of God's family. That's the proof. It's the evidence that a person who's following Jesus, you should be able to look at their lives. And they may not have everything together. Man, they may have some lingering sexual sins. They may have some lingering, uh, you know, pride issues. They may have some things like that they're still, they're still trying to work out. But can you look at that person and see them growing in love, love for God and love for other people? And if that's true, then you can see evidence that the Holy Spirit is working some things out in them and, and transforming them. It's just the evidence that they're a part of God's family. Faith that produces love is eternal security. Now, let's move on. Verse 12, Peter says this. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. These qualities that we just talked about. He's, he's, okay, let me get, let's get our heads back in the game here. He's like, okay, based on everything else now that I've just said, I, I, I'm going to, as long as I have breath in my body, even though he's, you know, he doesn't have too many breaths left. It's like, I, I, as long as I have breath in my body, I'm going to remind you of these qualities. Why? Because they're important. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. So he's like, I know my time's coming. My execution date has been set. Christ has made clear to me that he's not busting me out of jail this time. This is happening. This is happening. And he says, and I'll make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. He's like, this is so important. This, 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 this path of growth, this path towards love is so important. I'm going to do everything. I'm writing this letter. I may, I may try to write something else. I'm talking to, by the way, you know, the gospel of, of Mark is, is, is Mark basically sharing Peter's account of life with Christ. He's like, I'm writing this letter. I'm telling Mark what to write down to give you a gospel. You know, I'm doing all this stuff so that you don't lose sight of these things that are important, this, this path, this kingdom of love that Jesus inaugurated us into. Verse 16, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's like, it's like I know there's rumors going around that all, you know, all these stories about Jesus, because yeah, we, now we're 30, 40 years removed from, from Jesus' life and ministry. It's like there's rumors being that this is there's just all myths, this is just all urban legends. None of this stuff really happened. He said, no, 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 we didn't devise, you know, cleverly devise myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And then he shares a story of a, of a time that, that the Gospels record where, where uh, Peter, James, and John are with Jesus, and it's called the moment of transfiguration, on the Mount of Transfiguration, where they're up on a mountain, and, and, uh, and uh, uh, Moses and Elijah appear, and Jesus is, is lifted up with them. It's this glorious, glorious moment, and they want to, you know, the, the disciples are like, oh, let us build a big temple up here to commemorate this. And he's like, no, 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 you don't need to do that. Right, but so he's retelling the story. He says, "For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice, voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mount." He's like, "We were eyewitnesses to the fact that he was who he said he was, and is who he said he was." And then he then he carries it on with this. This is the last little little part of this chapter. He says, and 
in addition to eyewitness, the fact that we were eyewitnesses to all of this, he says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. He's talking about the Old Testament, what we would call the Old Testament. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men were speaking from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. He uses this example of a, of a, of a lamp shining in the darkness, and he says, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. So back in this time, back in kind of ancient uh, uh, times, um, the stars were a big deal to people. Like, we look at the stars and we like, oh, twinkly, twinkly, it's like, you know, whatever, it's pretty. And we've got some science in our head behind it. We're like, we, we know that those are, uh, you know, big balls of gas out in the university. We all learned that from The Lion King. And, um, <laughs> and so, like, we, 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 we've got some facts and some knowledge behind, you know, what, what's going on up there, right? But for them, they didn't have... You know, they didn't have radar detecting storm systems. They didn't have, um, you know, everything scientifically dialed in yet. And so what they had was just noted the noticing of, of patterns that the stars, that would take place with the stars. And, and very early on, there came this knowledge of uh, the morning star. Also, the evening star. At first, they thought they were two separate stars and then later realized that the morning star and the evening star were actually the same star. It's actually not even a star at all. It's what we would call the planet Venus. The, the, the morning star, it, it was called the morning star because as the evening, as the night progresses and you get closer to dawn, it's the last star you see in the sky. All the other stars have begun to disappear. And the last one you see on the horizon is the planet Venus. It shines the brightest. There's reasons why it shines so bright. There's like gas uh, anomalies around the planet and stuff like that. And it just makes it shine really bright. But it shines the brightest. It's the very last one. And when and they had come to know that when there was one star, one single star left in the sky shining brightly, the day was coming. A new day was coming. This was kind of worked into just the way they worked out the universe for themselves with, all their, with their primitive knowledge. And Peter here is saying, Jesus, like the morning star, everything else is faded, and all you can see so clearly is Jesus. And when you get to that point where you see Jesus so clearly and everything else fades away, you know a new day is coming. A new day is coming. A new day for your life, a new day for all humanity. Jesus was that morning star. When he appeared on the scene, he ushered in a new day for the entire planet. When Jesus dawned on you as an individual and revealed the Holy Spirit revealed him to you as an individual, it was a new day for you, wasn't it? It was a new day. And Peter says that this happens. And, script, he's, and he also kind of compares that to Scripture. Scripture. Scripture itself was the morning star to show us Jesus was coming. Jesus himself was the morning star to show us a new day was coming. He's like, these scriptures aren't just things that men wrote down. God was guiding the pen. God was giving them the words. These are words from God. Pay attention to these things. And that's my last point for today is just this, that Jesus was and is 
the greatest hope of humanity. Jesus as the Messiah was the one that they were that the world had been looking for, or especially you know, the Jewish people at that time had been looking for. They had been promised that a Messiah was going to come and set all things right, that was going to set Israel back to a place of power, that was, you know, all this kind of stuff that was going to happen, uh, that he was going to usher in a new day. And Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies that had been mentioned about him over and over and over again, every single one of them. It was a rough job being a prophet back in the day. People didn't like prophets. Prophets tended to say things that people didn't like because they called you to holy living, and they called you back to God, and they called you out of your sin, and all that kind of stuff. And so people hated prophets. Um, they were jerks. And, and so, like, they, they just, it was a hard, it was, and the other hard part about being a prophet was, uh, if you declared yourself a prophet, you were, your prophecies were tested, and the penalty for a false prophecy was death. <laughs> so you better get it right, <laughs> right? You better get it right. And sometimes if they didn't, even if your prophecy was correct, and they just didn't like it, the penalty was death, Right? <laughs> So it was, it was a thankless job being a prophet, right? But he's, he, we and, and them in the New Testament age can look back at all those prophecies and see how Jesus ticks every single box. Every single box. They pointed to him as the Messiah and Jesus and his very presence and all the work that he did points us to a new day that's coming. A new day that's both here and not yet. A day where salvation is available for every single one of us that's here right now, and we are beginning God's work of transforming this world into something that resembles the kingdom of God, to a not-yet day, a day that's still off in the future that's coming when, when Christ will return and will fully enter into his kingdom where justice will be the rule of the day, where love will finally reach its fulfillment, where all of that kind of stuff, that's the day that we're headed for. That's the new day that we're headed for. He was back then and still is the greatest hope for all of humanity. It's a powerful message. I don't know if you, you, you we, we kind of lose sight of that. This, this gospel, this Jesus message, it's a powerful message that we carry with us. It's not small. It's not, hey, Jesus will help you get a little bit better. No, we're, we're talking, I mean, it's, it's epic in its, in its nature. This is, this is, this is huge, huge powerful message that what God is about doing is not just simply, you know, transforming the life of Danielle, even though that's great that he's doing that, right? Or transforming the life of Jeff. What, what, what this message that we care for is that, that we carry with us is that God is in the process of redeeming all of creation, all of creation. Every one of us that have ever lived in all of his physical creation, the entire universe. He's in the process of setting this thing back right the way it was intended to be, and then some. And then some. It's a powerful, heavy, joyful message that we carry. So let's carry it like that. And the way that we know that we are a part of God's family is that, one, it's been opened up to every one of us. You're all eligible. <laughs> You're all eligible. God didn't look at any of your lives before you walked in the door this morning going, Ugh, I might just send a lightning bolt because he walked in the door. Right? Every one of you are eligible. All of you. And when you embrace faith and you begin to walk, walk with and towards Jesus Christ, we do have the ability. Now, we try not to judge each other too much, right? We do have the ability to kind of judge ourselves. 
and go, am I growing in love? Now, I'll be honest with you, there are days that I look at my life and go, whew, this was a two steps back day, right? Yeah, I'm growing in love, you know, over time, but today was a raunchy day. No growth happening. But it's still, I'm not defeated by that. I'm not overcome by that because I've fixed my eyes on Christ. And I know that he's got me. Like Paul teaches us in Philippians that he, speaking of Jesus, he who began a good work in us, he'll be faithful to complete it. He'll be faithful to complete it. It's not up to whether you can keep a perfect record. It's up to just ask yourself, am I following him? It's that simple. It's that, you want to know if you're part of the family of God? Ask yourself, am I following Jesus? If the answer to that's yes, it doesn't matter how shady it looks at times. It doesn't matter if you've got it all figured out in every area or not, which you don't. If the answer is yes, I'm following Jesus, you're in. You're in. So do that. Continue. This is why we talk so much about love. This is why people get so frustrated when we talk so much about love. Like, ah, oh, it seems like all we ever talk about love. It's because it's the most important thing. It doesn't get more important than love. Nothing else. The whole controversy over election is just peanuts compared to the topic of love. And, our, and this is where the church, I'm not going to say worldwide, but at least nationwide, we are failing miserably in our calling, our primary calling. We are failing. We are more concerned with people living perfect lives or having their theology just right than, than actually stepping out of our stupid comfort zones and actually loving them the way we're called to love them. And if we're going to live up to the mandate and calling that Christ has, has called us to, if we're going to start looking like citizens of the kingdom that he has invited us into, then we have to make love the prime thing in our life. Nothing is more important. Nothing. It's a big deal. It's not just, ah, it's church, it's flowery, we're going to talk about love. No. We are transforming this world into something that looks like the kingdom of God, and the name of that kingdom is love. And we have to do it that way. It's critical. It's mission critical. Did everybody get that? Have I drilled this in hard enough? Mission critical. All right. All right, I'm going to end yelling at you. Let's pray. <laughs> Matthew chapter 6, uh, Jesus taught us to pray this prayer. Pray it with me. Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Say that again. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil.